We have entered a special time on the planet when we celebrate these ancient games that began sometime deep back in the history of Greece. And during these ritual times, the people of Earth take a break. We take a break from our usual relationships and we are going to be friends with everyone for the next two weeks. The mostly young athletes have gathered from all over the world to give their very best and to try to win the highest recognition of excellence on our planet. And as we watch them, we will find their efforts sometimes to be very moving, very heartwarming, occasionally disastrous. All of us, I think, when we see the skater go up and twirl about 700 times and then fall to the ice, it just grabs our hearts. And often they do really accomplish things that seem to be truly impossible for human beings to do. And during these two weeks, we will officially be friends with everyone, at least more than usual. There will be music playing all the time. <laughs> Sweet music that makes us feel good. Then it will end. <laughs> it will, of course, be kind of an illusion, a beautiful illusion, and it will also be real, at least sometimes in some ways. I am moved in a certain way by the meeting of the North Korean and South Korean leaders in an act of friendship and the hockey team playing together. I, I'm delighted to see that. I don't want to be naive, but I also don't want to let the moment pass without saying, yes, that is a great thing. I really love the Olympics. I've got my Olympic tie on today, by the way, from Salt Lake City Winter Olympics. It was given to me. I love seeing people do the very best they can do. There's something inspiring about that. I love the pageantry. It's one of the very few times that we have some sort of ritual pageantry on our planet that includes everyone and that is specifically designed to include every person in every country on earth. I, I don't know of other times, well I'll mention one other, but it's not common. And even though the ritual does not create world peace, it only symbolizes world peace, it also has an effect. The effect is not zero. It's greater than zero, but it doesn't fix all the problems. Rituals do have power. And these Olympic ceremonies are far from meaningless. So there is something powerful about that that I respond to and many other people do as well. By the way, I, many of you know that I'm very interested in this movement called the Parliament of the World's Religions and there's a one coming up in 
November in Toronto. I think we've got 32 people signed up to go. What interests me about that is really something very similar to this Olympic feeling. It's a time when there is a planetary gathering to which everyone is invited and there's this understanding that there will be goodwill towards every person in that space. That we're one planetary community trying to live in peace together. And for most of us, the possibility of that kind of dream speaks to us in a very hopeful way. We would like that. We would like the planet to be living in peace. We don't have to go to highly unusual global events to feel the same power. Our world is so divided that there are opportunities to overcome our boundaries all over the place. Every time we walk out the door, there's an opportunity to overcome some of our deep boundaries. But there are times when it is more striking than other times. I'll tell you a couple of those times for me. About three or four years ago, there was a gathering at the Islamic Society over uh, near Pioneer Parkway. And that Muslim group that night really invited everyone in town to come and have dinner. And it turned out at the end that they had to turn people away. I think they could hold something like 700 people. And there were speakers, and then afterwards there was dinner. And there were people of all different faiths, and people of no faith whatsoever. Quite a few UUs. City and state officials, the mayor was there, the representatives were there, the police were there. There were Jewish people in the mosque, and they seemed to be doing fine. There were all kinds of religious groups and secular community groups, all kinds of clergy, all welcomed in this place for dinner. Come on over for dinner. You want to come over? Come on over to our place. And there was, and by the way, going to a mosque in our society is really associated with danger in many ways, right? Either they could be receiving it or they might be causing it or something, but that's a, but, and that night, there was no sense of danger at all. There was a sense of welcome. There was a sense of safety. We're not in any trouble here. We're fine. We're just having dinner. You know, we're people. So that was a moment for me, and I know some of you were there, that had that sense of peace on earth. Just had that sense. What a, what a great experience. So... We have a longing, I think, for peace like that and for com coming together in community in a way that makes people feel that they can be at home. Nobody's going to hit anybody or shoot anybody. We're just going to have a good time. For me, those kind of interfaith things, by the way, are not I'm not particularly concerned about what people believe, actually. It seems to me in that kind of... It really is not of primary importance what people believe. 
As a matter of fact, almost all the interfaith work I do, hardly anybody ever talks about what they believe. It's not, it's not that important in that particular context. For me, it's about affirming that we're all human beings and we have a right to be who we are. We have a right to live and exist. You don't need to have a religion to have these deep experiences of community. That's not required. The Olympics are a good example of that. You could have such an experience at a concert. As a matter of fact, I think that's a lot of why people go to concerts, is to have that experience. You could have it on a beach. You could have it at a peace march. As a matter of fact, that's one of the reasons people go on peace marches, too is to have that feeling of community and common purpose. My friends, it could happen at a baseball game. <laughs> I've had that experience. It could even happen at a church meeting trying to pass the budget. That is true. There are people in this room who have had that experience. It can happen. We actually don't even need to be with other people to have an experience of deep community. The experiences that many of us have had walking in the woods, for example, or in the mountains, and feeling a shift in consciousness toward a refreshing kind of feeling of wholeness, these too are experiences of community. We're experiencing the community of all beings. In these situations, we become aware of members of our community that we don't always pay attention to because our minds are just thinking about, well, I got to write a sermon, I got to do this, I got to pay some bills. But when we sometimes let go of that inner, inner chatter, then maybe we're walking somewhere and we just become aware of the birds. And then we see some squirrels and we see the leaves are waving and Maybe some rays of the sun or reflections of the moon or the feel of breezes on our bodies, the conscious presence of other animals like deer or rabbits or the murmur of the bees. And we step back from our limited self-absorbed ego consciousness for a moment and our awareness expands to a sense of Communion, we could say community with all creatures, with all being. And everyone I've talked to who's had that experience really likes it. I haven't talked to anybody who said, oh, I went walking in the woods the other day and I felt at one with everything. It's just horrible. <laughs> I haven't talked to anyone like that. We crave that. We love that. Author Michael Dowd calls this sometimes the hive experience, especially when people are working together on a project. And our, again, our sense of ego demands and worries fades into the background and we just become involved in working together on something. Maybe it's packing up the snack packs, whatever it might be. And, so, and then it... It's just the community doing something worthwhile. Michael Dowd calls that the hive effect because the, the, the way bees operate, they, they work for the group. They work for the group. 
as opposed for the individual. Do we need to give up our individuality to have these experiences? No, we don't. And as a matter of fact, it's not very likely that we would. Or we, you know, you're in a, it's hard to do that too, by the way. If you just wake up in the morning and say, I think I'll just give up my individuality for today. <laughs> and I'll start right now. You know, oh, damn, I gotta get to work. <laughs> it's not an easy thing to do. But we don't have to give up individuality to have these experiences of community. The Olympics are such a wonderful example of how competition does not have to go away. Competition has some negative dimensions, but it's not, it's not, it can get out of hand, but it's not something that's going away soon, I don't think. But the Olympics show that how you can have competition, but it's framed within community. That's what that opening and closing do. Say, we've had all this intense competition, but it's framed within peaceful cooperation. That's the bigger package that it's in. So individuality and competition can all exist with deep community. But when individuality is not tempered, not softened, not contextualized within community, when we don't see any worth or value in others, we don't see any worth in anything except our individuality, then we live in perpetual conflict. A collection of selfish egos that are just seeking their own momentary gratification with no sense of a larger reality. That's not a good place to be. Our world, and particularly our nation, is really caught up right now in this kind of conflict-dominated consciousness. That's kind of where we're at culturally right now. With both individuals and groups often failing to notice our deeper connections and our common needs and dreams. In better times, we might be able to look to our leadership for an example of how to heal this sickness but right now, it appears our leadership has also gone off the track and is not helping us in this healing process. Somehow, it has become cool or fashionable or more than usually attractive to not love our neighbors, but to see them exclusively as potential or real enemies. To distrust our fellow earth inhabitants that may be of a different skin color or religion or gender identity or sexual orientation. We are seeing danger and feeling fear where the path that really leads to our best chance for survival and peace is to see possibilities for community. That's the one that leads to the good place. And just as the Olympics are an example of how you can <clears throat> illustrate certain truths through rituals and symbols, you can illustrate the desire for peace and cooperation powerfully, like in that opening ceremony the other night. Just in that same way, other actions that we can do on a grand scale reveal negative inner thoughts as well. 
How about the idea maybe of building a huge separating and intimidating wall between two countries? There's an interesting idea. Could it be that such an action also conveys a message? Like perhaps I don't want to be in community with you. I don't want to be in any relation with you at all. I'm going to build a big old wall to make sure that we don't have anything to do with each other. I was in Mexico City a couple of weeks ago and I got into talking to cab drivers, which I had some great talks, and I asked a number of them what they thought about that wall. And you know what? They get the symbolic message perfectly. There isn't any doubt in their minds what that symbol stands for. They get that the message to Mexico is, you are worthless. You are dangerous. You are bad people. You are criminals. And we want nothing to do with you. That's what they told me that it means to them. So they get, they interpret the symbol from their cultural point of view. So I would suggest, just as a wild guess, that this is not the path to deep community. Or any other community for that matter. It's not the way we usually send an invitation for friendship. A large military parade probably does not symbolize an invitation to friendship. Probably is not a symbol of that. So we can, we can read symbols. That's, that's something we can do. And undoubtedly people will experience them in different ways, which is part of our human condition. But however we might interpret these symbols, the best chance we have on this planet I would suggest is to move closer to community and away from threats and demeaning rhetoric and actions that symbolize separation and the potential for war. We would be serving humanity and the present and the future better by putting our energy into symbols and action that promote a sense of community and the possibility of friendship and a statement that we don't want to move towards war, we want to move towards peace. In a very real and practical sense, I do not see any better way to go. In, in a world of ever-increasing destructive potential through technology, friendship, or at least at least nonviolent coexistence is our best hope. Because, you know, what the problem with these highly powerful weapons is at some point somebody will use some of them. And I, I hope not, but that's the chance that we're taking if we're not moving towards community. The odds for peace are not 100% even if we work for friendship, but they're much, much better. Much better. So we need to be conscious peacemakers and community builders. We need to smile at people and not threaten to attack them. We need to make friends everywhere we can. 
We need to become better at accepting and affirming people of other religions and people of no religion whatsoever. Competition is not going to go away. There will still be disagreements. There will still, we'll still have elections where we think the other person is probably not a wonderful person. We'll still have all that, but it can be wrapped in an overarching movement towards cooperation. We don't have to agree with everyone. We just need to be on peaceful terms. We need to be open to friendship. We need to become aware that since the earliest times of humanity, people have always moved to different parts of the world to find a better life. People have always migrated to somewhere else. People came to this country because they thought they could find a better life. They were all undocumented, every one of them. So this is part of human reality, that people move when they want to have a better life. We need to figure out how to incorporate that into our lives in a way that's not violent. We need to learn to welcome the stranger as all our religious and secular traditions affirm. And we need to consciously unlearn the long-term patterns of racism that exist in our country and in many other countries as well. Because of our national history, we're all swimming in an ocean of racism and white supremacy. It's in the water. It's in the air. In times past, it tended to hide more. Right now, it's not hiding at all. It's right there at the highest levels of our leadership. Not shy, but blatant. But we can unlearn these patterns. It's possible to do that. And we can become more effective champions of equality than we have been before. But we have to do some, this is work, it's a project. It's something we need to work on, but it can be done. Even those deep wounds are receptive to healing over time. We have similar work to do with LGBTQ prejudice and other kinds of prejudice, and we're making progress on these fronts. And the reality is that as we tear down the walls, both physically and psychologically, we will experience life as more joyful. It is more fun to go to dinner with your friends than to go to war with your enemies. It's just more fun. <laughs> By a long shot, it's not close. Community and friendship, affection, these qualities are inherently satisfying. It doesn't mean that we should not lock our doors, but it does mean that we should not lock out our hearts. The path of suspicion and selfishness of enmity does not lead anywhere that we really want to go. Eventually, it leads to war, which is not as much fun as love as the old t-shirts made very, very clear. It's not as much fun as playing games together as they're doing over in Korea right now in very competitive ways, but with such mutual cooperation and affection and respect. It's not as much fun as learning to know our neighbors, 
or as walking in the woods and living our lives so that those woods may be preserved. When we experience that deep community, however it might come to us, then we know how good life can be. And we will want to extend that experience as far and as wide as we can. May we follow this path, difficult though it may be, for it is indeed our best path.